And welcome to the Dicer Screening Podcast. Uh, welcome once again. Uh, I am Mike. And I'm Randy. And we have returned. Uh, despite a slight delay, partly owed to me being bounced back and forth between day shift and night shift. Uh, well, well, we we don't cast blame Extremely here. Extremely disruptive. We don't cast blame here at the podcast that... Oh, oh, well, we are but the wandering monster result that probably should have just gotten a reroll. Yeah, on paper, one dice, six owlbears <laughs> looks perfectly fine until you realize that after the TPK and your players are now frustrated and angry with you. <laughs> Might have wanted to re-roll that. Two to twelve onkegs seemed like an innocent enough <laughs> idea. Like, well, it's like an average of six and or seven, right? Yeah, but sometimes the dice say twelve. <laughs> they, they just don't stop spitting acid. <laughs> Never. <laughs> oh no, that's us. <laughs> yeah, you probably should have re-rolled, but probably should have hit the dice one more time and just called it good. But no, nope, you're here with us. Hey, I've got an announcement to make. Uh-oh, what do we got? It's a very special announcement. Today is a very special day. You know, it actually is. It's a very special day. Today is, for the calendar, July 20th. 2022. Yeah, 22. Now, what happened on July 20th? Four years ago, we started our very first episode. Yes, we did. That of was Dyson the, Men. Of Dyson Men. <laughs> it was 20 years ago today. Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play. No. Uh, no. Four years ago, this action, this little, you know. Experiment. Uh, this, this spectacle. spectacle. This sideshow. This, <laughs> this Roman bread and circuses tragedy. Uh, oh, don't even give us that much. Began. And... Oh, what fun we've had doing it. I mean, we're the podcast equivalent of a bum fight. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, with zap gloves. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're just, we're terrible. Um, <laughs> the hallway full of caltrips of gaming podcasts. Yeah. We still didn't have a logo yet. You know, we just kind of just blounder around on this thing. But uh, yet, you know, some people seem to like us. So. We'll, we'll keep that content, and we'll keep working on an artist that actually uh, finds what we want. We're real picky about it, but I think it's getting close to pulling the trigger on it. Yeah, uh, shifting gears and, like, abandoning ship on the original core concepts that we had laid out, uh, wanting to, like, get dice that are screaming. Uh, you know, walking it back from that and just admitting that, like, okay, you know, why not? logo the words themselves you know find a way to creatively that there are more ways to creatively express that that are less risky so, it was a ginsburg reference the trees are screaming yeah and everybody thinks that it's like the old boomer like oh, box gaming screaming and yeah we did not know that it would get that kind of reception uh or perception uh I'm an angry guy on the internet, and I'm perfectly normal. Oh, no, we're we're not normal, but oh, well. we're really not that angry. <laughs> uh, our jimmies aren't rustled by much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of which, Snarly on a side droops. note, 
On a side note, I was briefly uh, employed as a Jimmy rustler. It was a shameful trade. Nothing an honest man should do for work. Uh, I, was, I was down on my luck, and I was approached by somebody who was unsavory, and I, I found temporary work and a little money on the side from rustling Jimmy's and selling them south of the border with a different brand on them so they wouldn't be recognized by their original owners. Uh, it, was, it was not fit work for an honest fella. Well, especially to all those Jameses. Man, they must have been <laughs> uh, so, so here I am, no longer rustling Jimmy's. <laughs> all right. Oh, Private yeah. jokes aside, I, I, we're so full of movie other and ideas, poetry. Other trivia. ideas for the rustling Jimmy's. I, I, I also wanted to go off on a tangent where I was like, wait a minute, don't you catch that if you're bitten by a were-rat on the night of the full moon? If it's rabid, you know, you catch a case of the rustling <laughs> Jimmy's and the, takes an eighth-level cleric at least to cure that. <laughs> or a third-level druid selling in a cure by the side of the road. <laughs> Yeah, don't trust it. I think that's how you get the rustling Jimmy's. <laughs> that's how the were rat caught it. Never trust a druid. So, well, <laughs> anyway, yeah, four years of this. Yeah, here you go. Here's all four. Here's a walk in the park down Reminiscence Lane with us. Yeah, we're a bunch of weird quotes of poetry, movies, and hot culture literature. And, you know, it's. It's not that we're unconnected with pop culture or current gaming because we aren't, but there is a lot of things that kind of, I guess, maybe set us apart from when somebody hears the a title like Screaming, they automatically go to the default, which, hey, it's not our fault it's when we did this. I, I, I was just trying to be kind of a little snarky, sly, like... It's a Ginsburg thing, man. You know, it's like kind of the avant-garde counterculture hip dude. The beatniks of gaming. Yeah, and you know, everybody went automatically. So you, oh, what are man. you guys mad about? I, I brought my bongos. Oh, okay. Well, you can just take your bongos, put them back in the trunk. and uh, Oh, you don't even own a car. Do, do I have to give up my beret and shave off my goatee? <laughs> well, you can just start by actually being able to grow a goatee instead of penciling it on. And the beret, you can give it back. To whomever you borrowed it to from for that night, your <laughs> landlady. Okay, yeah. All right. So that's a little harsh, but hey, All facts. Right. Uh, facts uh, do I'll stick with the kimono. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Take your bongos out. You put them in your trunk. You don't even own a car. What are you talking about? You reprobate. <laughs> oh, uh, hippies, loutish troll, proto hippies—the worst kind. All right, so speaking of loudish churls, we have some comments from Jason and Joe. Ooh, our fellow loudish churls. Good on you. And uh, they had some stuff to share with us. So, again, 40, or four years, 40, yeah, I wish. 48 months. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously we had the hiatus uh, at the in most intense peak of untreatable, you know, unvaccinable uh, COVID, where it, staying away from each other was probably a hot idea, keeping our households apart. Uh, yeah, well, once necessary. we started getting our uh, shots and uh, basically... But we came back from that, like, once everybody was uh, got their juice and, uh, you know, got the plus four to saves, uh, then we got all bold again. Yeah, and we were able to get back together. We really appreciate you folks. So those of you who stuck with us for four years, we really appreciate that. And uh, we hope you appreciate our off sense of humor and our quirky timing and unprofessionalism. Because that's what marks us here at the Dice of Screen Podcast is different. 
Oh, wait, there's many other podcasts that are just as unprofessional and perky. <laughs> we try to stand out in a crowd, but... Yeah, but they try to be better. <laughs> Gosh, just, we just kind of coast along. We celebrate... <laughs> uh, uh, we celebrate our inadequacies. Or metacritics. Because, right? you know... I, well, I mean, if you were to strip away the layers of mediocrity, what would be left? <laughs> Oh, by the gods. Yeah. That's a sobering thought. Oh, man. It's like an onion skin. Just layer after layer. <laughs> I think it caused me a moment of existential crisis. All right. So we're going to go to the calls and we'll be right back. All right. Thank you, Camus. Hey, gentlemen. Jason again. I know you're sick of hearing from me. Thank you for the book. It arrives safe and sound. Very cool. As far as misrepresenting you, I greatly apologize. I you know tend to listen in the car and call in and... I probably should re-listen again before I call in. I might have that problem this call. But it was not my intention to misrepresent you, and I do apologize for that. You know, I don't have a problem with Pathfinder per se. I'm actually in two Pathfinder games at the moment, a Pathfinder 1E game with other frequent caller Joe Richter, who's GMing the Wrath of the Righteous campaign, or Adventure Path, I guess, and I'm in a Pathfinder 2 campaign. So... You know, Pathfinder's fine. We haven't got above fourth level in either of those games yet, so I'm not, I haven't hit those high power levels. I think that's interesting. You talk about the difference between Pathfinder and 5e at the higher power levels. I look forward to seeing that. Although, to be honest, the only 5e I've played is is one game of Avengers in Middle-Earth and one game of Beowulf Age of Heroes, which are both kind of derivatives. So I've never played pure 5e. You, you know, it's only the fast past five years that I've played post Gygaxian D and D of any sort. I never, I got out of the hobby, or at least moved away from D and D back in the one E days. I never even played Second Edition, and definitely none of the others until the past five years. Uh, my favorite version of post Gygaxian D and D, to be honest, it is a quite a variant, but it's Dungeon Crawl Classics by Goodman Games. That just really sings to me. I love the variable magic and the crazy effects. But your points are well made. And yeah, it for your the goal you were aiming at, I, I think probably you picked some really great choices. Um, so, yep. Take care. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you soon. Yo, what's going on, fellas? It's been a little bit, but I thought I'd call in because I heard you talking about PF1. Uh, yeah, and especially high-level Pathfinder. So a bunch of stuff, you know, you guys said a bunch of awesome things. I do want to address a few things, though, like, and this is just coming from a personal perspective, right? So for my group, the reason we stopped playing 5e is because, like, what, Randy, you were saying, when you got to be a 10th level fighter in 5e, it wasn't too much different, right? That That's why we stopped playing it as a group. That wasn't really my decision. Uh, everyone just got kind of, like, this is boring. <laughs> we want to go back to Pathfinder. So back to Pathfinder we went because my group, they 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 love that shit. <laughs> I love it. They love it. And so, yeah, hold on. And now I'm currently running my group 
through Wrath of the Righteous, which when it came out was the first Paizo Adventure Path to go from level 1 to level 20. Not only that, it also throws on these things called Mythic Tiers, which are kind of like classes, but not quite. And the combos you can do are just crazy between your tier and your magic items and your class. It's nuts. And I get it. I get it. It's not for everybody. Hell, there's a dude in my group who does not like building characters. That's fine, because the rest of us love Love it, man. And, you know, I get it. Folks who play like high-level Pathfinder stuff, we're a bunch of freaks. I get it, but we're out here. I just wanted to give a shout-out from the high-level stuff. Say what's up from the freak zone. Anyway, boys, great stuff. I'll talk to you soon. Peace out. All right. Hey, thanks, you fellas. It's good to hear from you, Joe. Good to hear from you, Jason. No, we're not getting tired. And some great things. I think Mike here has a, a... our last, very last Pathfinder thing before we finish up with Joe. Oh, yeah. I had one last analogy. Uh, after I got home, it occurred to me that it was kind of like the passing of the torch, you know, at the Olympics where they just have a series of people uh, that pass the baton, so to speak, except, of course, it's the Olympic torch. You know, they're, they're keeping the flame aloft. Uh, and, you know, you begin with that white box set, uh, and it like lifted the torch aloft and took off from the starting position. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the eventual evolution of first edition was waiting there on time in the right position, reached out its hand, took the torch and ran with it. Well, that was a tag team. I'm going to insert that the Holmes and uh, Moldvay basic expert were there too to help. Uh, well, and that's yeah, it. and they happened right about the same time. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you've got that era of D and D, uh, and then, of course, second edition came along, grabbed the torch uh, like it was supposed to, and and took off running. And you know, eventually, third and it was getting a little tired at the end. You know, uh, three and three point five, much like first edition and the BC, you know, uh, BE, BX, yeah, BX CMI, uh, much like that. Three and three point five were waiting; they were ready. Like, okay, give me the torch. Boom, and you know, like they held it aloft honorably and ran along. And then it just landed in the hands of somebody who went, I, I don't understand. What what do I what am I supposed like it, there's a thing and it it's on fire and I, I don't understand. And meanwhile, like the guys at Paizo are just like pulling their hair out, yeah, watching the, the spectacle. In the stand. Just, no! How? How can you be this stupid? Fine, give me it, give me it, give it. And then they ran until at long last five was like, okay, I'm ready. Hand me the torch. And we're back again. Well, they struggled between it, but uh, finally, uh, I think Pathfinder has set its own course. But um, yeah, but- it, it was uh, like not a worthy inheritor of the, uh, the incredible legacy. Uh, so I, I have a lot of gratitude to Fifth for. Like the development team on it really did their homework, did their mea culpas, like examined thoughtfully where did we go horribly awry, uh, and I, I like what they did. Uh, yeah, you know, for all my uh, recent rancor over uh, first edition Pathfinder, I think that the uh, second edition has done a lot to redeem it. After I've noticed that, like the kind of uh, witch's brew that it encourages of min maxing and overcompensation. Now, like now going to Joe. Yeah, buddy. I love high-level Pathfinder. I, I've always wanted to get there, but very few are able to make the journey with me. And unless you have those 
kind of people that are willing to not only have all the rules committed to memory or at least uh, put on paper or on a uh, spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding, Scott Bonnie, I'm talking about you. Yeah, we're talking about can, you, bro. When they can just look at it, you know, click, we'll just, you know, scroll up and like, oh, yeah, tell you exactly what the feed is verbatim, where, what page it is to cross-reference in case there is a discrepancy. Unless you got those kind of uh, crew on board with you, it, it's going to be a struggle. And, I mean, I love Mythic, but I will never run Mythic again. <laughs> I will never do that to myself. I do I, love the high-level combos. I, I ran like Wrath of the Righteous, and I just had... Uh, I did it, and uh, we finished it full, fully flushed, 10 Mythic levels, 20 levels of character, and wow. Uh, you know, I, I just wish you all the best of luck. Hey, I had a great time playing a higher-level character. Yeah. In Pathfinder, I like I have never DM'd Pathfinder, but I had a blast, uh, especially in the higher level campaigns where I could really break loose some of the more exotic combos. Well, that gnome bard you had, yeah, that like stealing a spell by engaging in you know like a conversation, yeah, a verbal or uh, verbal uh, debate. And I, I stole a limited wish, converted it to a bardic spell for high sonic damage that could affect a building. And then I knocked the building that the person was in down. <laughs> yeah, destroying uh, two-thirds of the tower's base made it collapse. The Lich's tower uh, collapsed. And yeah. That was, you know, everybody was like, I don't know how he did that. Why would you let him do that as a DM? And I'm like, well, the rules spoke for themselves. I mean, when we look at the hit points of a tower of that size, and uh, it surpasses all hardness. And it does damage to solid structures. Uh, yeah, I'm going to look at Horn of Blasting's a thing. Yeah. Uh, so, I, like, all of the precepts were there. And I was winging it. I came up with that notion on the fly because I was looking at what can I do with a stolen limited wish. And one of the things was converted to any spell of, like, a level below that. And I took one look at that and went, I just got inspired. Which is a dangerous thing. I should never, ever be permitted but to be inspired. He was, but here's the old school. Horn of Blasting. Mike knew how effective a Horn of Blasting is. Oh, yeah. Back in old school, that was a disaster waiting to happen for any solid structure in the, the game. Uh, if you Horns of Jericho? Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so uh, we just really wish you all the luck. And uh, look, look, I was just trying to give a High-level joy to both of you. Yeah. Enjoy and play what you want how you want, and with whom you wish. Just don't be a dick. <laughs> and that's that's where we're going to end that conversation. Yeah, thanks no, no, thanks that... for all the input. We really enjoyed well, having the uh, top four. That was a just kind of off-the-cuff thing that we had had to cover an absence. And uh, I've got a pre-recorded one uh, already in the books that'll be just me. Next time it's just me flying solo. I'm going to talk about solo games. So it might to not break Mike's uh, divination. Just put that in there. That uh... Yes, if I should encounter difficulties in the nearby future, we have a backup episode, so there will not be a two-week gap between airings. Um, yeah. So what what does the auguries foretell for the future? Ah, the Machaomancer. Uh, Divination by knife or sword. Which we have plenty of. Yes, we have them all about us. Uh, and at a glance... I foresee an examination of D3, Vault of the Drow, 
and this uh, will be minute in nature. We will be, you know, really owed to the fact that it's a single module, uh, albeit a comprehensive one. We're going to get a chance to examine some of the potential that it holds for complicated gameplay for high-level AD&D gamers. Yeah, we're going to have some tips and tricks if you're going to run this or plan to run this. And this is a recommendation from our times of playing through it as well as being ran through it. And as well as how and where to head next. Uh, because I think one of the things about D3 is you can just end it as is. It's true. You and, can. Or you can continue the campaign. And it's one of those places where, hey, if the players decide to, you know, like they've had enough and, you know, this is this has kept them occupied for a long period of time, then they can move on from that. But uh, that's what we'll be covering next week. Yeah, it is the springboard officially for Q1, Queen of the Demon Web Pits, but it doesn't have to be. It has a lot of potential for some fairly lengthy and convoluted gameplay compared to the previous two modules, which while they, if the player characters get lost, there's a whole lot of material there to keep them busy for a while. But in this, the city of Eralahai Sinlu, there is so much afoot in and around it that a, a DM really has to bring their A game. So we're gonna we're gonna pick that apart in minute detail. All right. So speaks the Macheomancer. All right. So that's gonna do it. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna be back after paying the bills. We got the new message. So uh, for our anchor listeners or. Anchor uh, would be podcasters. If you're thinking about getting into Anchor apps, just to listen to our little uh, Anchor podcasting makes it real easy. So just listen to our little ad, and uh, hey, it helps pay the bills around here and helps us get new stuff. So we'll be right back after this quick break. So stick around. All right, then we're back. Hey, thanks for hanging around, folks. All right, so we're going to get to our main meat of the matter today, which is D&D celebrities. Yeah, that's what we talked about, and uh, we're forecast. So it was foretold, so shall it be. Yeah, it's finally come to pass a, a proper examination of a phenomena that is, uh, frankly, unique to this era. Okay, we're, we're going to start with uh, what celebrity and gaming used to mean. Uh, what it began to transform into, and then arrive at where we're at today, which is quite different from anything we've seen before. Oh, yeah. And, so, and, and what a journey it's been. I mean, how the, the process over almost five decades now? Yeah, the celebrity... So 74... Oh, that would be about right, 74 to 75. We're almost up to the... Yeah. The people who were in gaming at its inception... Uh, developed a certain degree of fame and infamy. <laughs> and they were pretty much the limited uh, click of gaming celebrity. And admittedly, people outside of gaming almost never knew who these people were. It was not celebrity in the truest sense that we think of it. Uh, Mr. Gygax managed to try yeah. transcend that. Yeah, he got on Futurama in a couple of places. I think also uh, Arneson. Uh, well, of course. Well, both those two. If you mentioned Gygax and Ernest, and yeah, you're talking about the the original high level D and D celebrity. But well, Gygax, eh, go ahead and uh, just say it. He could be a little aloof, 
And Ar- Arneson, I think, was very approachable. I just love to listen to him uh, just talk. But we're going to talk about the DD celebrities that didn't get that level of highlight, but are still with us and have had, I think, a longer and more profound effect on the DD uh, fan club, which is kind of like Douglas Niles, David Zeb Cook, Jeff Grubb, Roger Moore, not the actor, Roger E. Moore, the editor of uh, yes. Dungeon and Dragon magazine um, and author. Um, even Sean K. Reynolds, Eric Mona, all those from different genres and different times have, you know, they were there at working at TSR, was it the coast when things were really happening and changing. And they're in respect to like Tim Cask. He has uh, the curmudgeon in the dungeon. <laughs> you can sit and listen. It's like listening to your old uncle reminisce about the old days back in the war. <laughs> and, you know, um, I don't always agree with everybody, but you know what? Their insights are perfect, you know, uh, spot on. And listening, that's what made them celebrities. Like when you listen to Frank Metzner at the midnight auction at Gen Con, you were in for a treat because, yeah, he would kind of go a little rambling to her, but you got some interesting stories about how this product or this cover was designed this way. Or, you know, Skip Williams uh, let a bunch of guys walk out with some computers because he, he thought that they were the uh, um, warehouse guys that they would hire from time to time to help with extra work, you know, loading trucks and busting oh, down crates. And you learn stuff like that, and you're like, okay, so this is the backstory, the stuff that doesn't make the headlines. But that kind of celebrity status was rarefied because it came from a place of, they were there at the time when TSR went from a podunk little company in Lake Geneva to literally one of the top 10 in Forbes magazine. Yeah, and I mean, this during the space of like 10 years, uh, you know, between 74 and 84, you saw this radical transformation into a you know, corporate enterprise almost by like ne- necessary default there was there was no way to expand at their rate without going corporate yeah you huh. a lot of um bugle juice has been spread or spent on like the influence of the bloom brothers and other things like that okay get that but you bring up a good point the tsr couldn't have done what it did without incorporating yeah, just the the nature of the capital required, the investiture and the division of stock and transforming the company into a profitable, marketable place capable of hiring more than 10 people at a time. Yeah, capable of undertaking projects of a scale and scope that they had never tried before. Look, stapling little folders in a garage, you know, making little white book, you know, uh, sets. Man, there were things that you could accomplish with a copier and a few friends, but there were also things that could never have been embraced using those techniques. They had to do what they did. And obviously, yeah, the people who took those risks and then rode the ride all the way, uh, they became famous to us, okay? So when we say celebrity, uh, to them, it doesn't seem like the kind of celebrity you see on television. Uh, it's the celebrity amongst gamers, like those in the know, those who, you know, read the paperwork. And You've like, seen like Douglas Niles on so many different products at TSR, or Tom Lamb. Oh, yeah. Tom and, Lamb. you know, <laughs> this was a guy who had just come up with a game 
just out of the blue, like Snit's Revenge or uh, oh heck, Kings and Things. Just that was a game he could just come up with. You couldn't instruct that guy and like say, hey, this guy's going to produce a game like this every six months. Doesn't happen like that. His process is is an organic one that just kind of flows from different uh, places he plays and people he plays with. But like even Douglas Niles was a game designer. Even Tim Cask was an editorialist and a game tester. He was responsible for the a lot of the things you see in the early TSR. Is got a thumbprint. Frank Metzner the same way, you know, author of the BECMI, the Basic Expert Companion Masters in Mortals D and D set. I mean, it, it whether you like it or hate it, it's a great set. And that guy uh, stood at the the uh, rudder that kept the rudder of that ship going. But for a very long time period, that is what celebrity in gaming meant. Okay, I mean, yeah, every one of these cats was a creator, an author, an editor. Cats like Mike Pondsmith, like creating cyberpunk and pre- inventing a genre overnight, which is why you know, Mike is like such a hero to so many of us, mm. is that it was the punk rock attitude. He was a true, unlike our hoary bearded elders, who while we were 12, they were 25, okay? Or in their 30s, yeah. Yeah, you know, like some of these guys in 74, I mean, we were like what is it five and six or five and seven at the time so like those are the guys creating the game and then by the time we're like, still figuring out the words duh and uh you know five years later you know we're in just about to head into junior high and this stuff is all around like the word is coming up and we're hearing about it and it's a thing we were just hardwired to like it science fiction fantasy fiction nerds and this thing that we loved came out just as we were ready for it. Now, Mr. Pondsmith, on the other hand, is our age group. You're yeah. like the, the second gen, okay? The the alternative uh, crowd. And it, like, he's gonna hold a special place in my heart as a guy who totally just balls to the wall, went there. You know, it said, I I have an idea and I'm gonna Teenage run with this. Space, uh, Mecton. Those were all Castle Falkenstein. Those were all other projects he did. Yeah. Um, character casting in a couple, or not character casting, it's not Janelle. Um, but uh, the character backstory, the life path, uh, there was a supplement out. But Cyberpunk is where they really hit a, hit a home run. You know, he'd been pretty close. I mean, people like teenagers from outer space. I mean, I was like at a convention in <laughs> Detroit with you, I think, and somebody like, hey, I, they're playing teenagers from outer space, you know, free to sit down and play. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, I don't know. And it's like, oh, come on, dude, get the stick out of your rear end. All right, fine. Sit down and play it. And it's like, you know what? This is kind of fun. Hey, man, I, I I didn't think I would enjoy it this much. But I played games at cons that I would never have embraced at, like, around the, like, come on. I'm, I'm the, the guy who, like, what is it, 20 years ago, couldn't stand animated anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then wound up playing Big Eyes, Small Mouth, the RPG of anime. Well, you were trying to, to get a date, and, you know, I can't blame you. That was an attractive young fellow. and Yeah, I really <laughs> Uh, I was lured down the path to darkness. No, I'm kidding. But he, I had a great time. Yeah, he just okay. wasn't. He just wasn't uh, sleezing it out. He, it was a very nice thing, and, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, there was a moderate level of sleaze. Uh, I'll own at least that much. No, 
All right, Mo- not even moderate. It was a it, there was mild sleep, but, but like Cyberpunk, that original <laughs> black box set and uh, twenty twenty, just such great works. And yeah, Pond Smith, uh, guys like Steve Jackson, uh, yep. who was just yeah. such a hit with so many different Stafford, uh, Sandy oh, Peterson. Yeah, these are the names that matter to us. And so when you said that there was a seminar with Sandy Peterson, he's going to be talking about the, he, he doesn't want to talk about Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> Would you go? Yeah, because you're going to hear some stories about the days at Chaosium. You're going to hear him talk about game design philosophy. You're going to hear some stuff. And I would always feel like I could learn something from them about, you know, game theory, game design, game management. You're like, what yeah, they're, the, they're what game the masters primarily. Every one of them has ran games numerous times in numerous systems. If you ask Sandy Peterson, did you play Dungeons and Dragons? And I am not much. He played more RuneQuest. Gotcha. But he still understood the basics of fantasy adventure gaming, which was don't give out too much treasure. Always keep up a mind on random encounters ruining things. <laughs> and don't give out too many magic items, right? I mean, that's it. Yeah. Now, avoid overkill. Yeah. In both directions, in terms of reward and risk. Now, so, so go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say this moves us into our second category. Okay, that was phase one of gaming. That's all celebrity meant to us when we were young, was the amazing creatives that caused this to be, and we were curious about them because these are the people who created the stuff that we loved so much. But something really weird started to happen, I would hazard a guess, about 15 or so years ago. Yeah, right at the turn of the century, right? Because we can say that, right? Yeah. We so, so yeah, right around the turn of the century, just in the late 90s, of all things. About yeah. 98, 99, you start to hear rumors about some celebrities playing d it would, it would It would passingly come out, and more was mockery. A few years down the road from that, it went from being rumors to people just wearing it on their sleeve. And uh, I got to champion Vin Diesel for that one, because the guy never apologized for any of it. He was never like, well, yeah, okay, there's some truth to those rumors. No, he was like, Dude, yeah. But he's Vin Diesel. I mean, what are you going to do? You're like, nerd. <laughs> Better be at the next state yeah. when you say that. Yeah, you're, you're going to want to say that with a bullhorn while on a very fast motorcycle. Uh, and then just you know, like yell that from a football field's distance and then drive away in a cloud of dust. Uh, presumably soiling yourself in fear the entire while. Uh, in any case, we started to see a different relationship between celebrity and gaming. There were celebrities who were gamers, and they achieved their celebrity not in any relationship with gaming, but entirely independent of it. They did other things that made them a fortune, that caused them to receive remarkable attention from media, and having made their fortunes and having started to feel very secure in the fact that, hey, you know what, I'm allowed to be myself. Uh, It was a great deal similar to the revolution in which uh, so many uh, actors and artists and, you know, uh, people on television began to just come out and say, like, yeah, I'm gay. You know, it's a thing. And as weird as it sounds, gamers had to go through the same thing. Like, yes, I'm a gamer. Like, it could tank certain parts of your life and your social status up to a point. And, you know, 
even with famous people, like they would get mocked. Like in spite of their fame, in spite of their success, in spite of their talents, they could face mockery for coming out as a gamer, uh, which I always thought was amazing. I was like, really? I mean, how can people really care that much? Like, so a guy rattles some dice, big dang deal. Uh, and look at all the list of movies or shows they've been in and how awesome they are. And that, that's the thing that hung you up. <laughs> so the world was very silly back then, but it started to creep outwards. You know, once a yeah, few started- Yeah, people point towards uh, the Big Bang Theory, uh, them playing it, which I still think is kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of cringy watching them try to homage, mock at the same time. I get it, the gaming is kind of funny to pick on because all the people play are funny and they talk in funny ways and use different things. But that started to change. And you got people like Felicia Day and then uh, Joe Mangiello. Manganiello. I can never get his name. Yeah, Manganiello. Yeah. Manganiello. Yeah, that he. Stephen Colbert. Yep, and they started to come out. And you know, Joe is just like uh, Vin Diesel. You yeah. don't want to. You don't want to say that around that guy. <laughs> just like. Yeah. Oh, you're 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 one of those uh, dumb geeks that play that freaking little game. And yeah, okay, I'll prepare your uh, dental bill. <laughs> well, we got good dental insurance because it's gonna hurt. Yeah. This. Well, you know, look, and Stephen yeah. Colbert, who will mock you to an inch of your life that you wish you could ooze out underneath the door. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, but a guy can quote the Similarian for, for crying out loud. I mean, I I can't. Well, yeah, his nerd chops are undeniable. Uh, like, there's there's no question that you know he has full credit. Uh, and you know, one of us, one of us. Yo, Gabba Gabba. Uh, in any case, yeah, deep cut. Uh, that just happened. No, um, uh, you started to see more and more of the people interconnected, like the, the, the way in which the persons who had achieved success associated with other people who had achieved success and gaming seemed to spread virally within them, you know, just like, Oh, well, that's that's what I do on my like Tuesday evenings uh, whenever I'm not completely busy. And if you're if we're going to be in the same area for like six months, if you want to come over and uh, join the table and hang out with us. And then the next thing you knew, there were a ridiculous number of people who, even if they didn't start off as gamers, possessed celebrity status and yeah. had become gamers like. Peter Cushing. There's a old... Oh, legendary uh, actor. There's an old um, movie tone, uh, Parsing movie tone clip, you can look it up on YouTube, where they cover his interest in wargaming and painting miniatures. That is, that's what he spends his time doing. Oh, bravo. He and was... like how he how he's very good at painting, you know, and he practices painting his, you know, Napoleonics and uh, various era wargaming miniatures in his spare time and it seemed like oh it's that quaint thing that you, you know you do and uh, but you know that was a thing and you know a lot of people had these weird pastimes that people just like oh that's odd but for whatever reason D&D was always seen as this offshoot almost deviant thing and now it's fully embraced by things like uh, Stranger Things makes it part of its culture I mean the fact that the kids relate to indescribable cosmic horror through the lens of Dungeons and Dragons monsters. Even though they're still spooked out and terrified of these things, 
there's that they can describe them in factors that they can comprehend is a unique thing that is only done to the vehicle of Dungeons and Dragons and it's kind of that breaking a fourth wall almost fifth dimension meta. <laughs> yeah, that that was a marvelous facet of the first season of Stranger Things. Oh, uh, it's so although cool. uh, if you go back to uh, ET extraterrestrial yeah. which is, you know, 19 what did I believe it was 84. Oh, yeah, I think it was 81, I think. Oh, son of a gun. I'm not absolutely sure anymore. Uh, but that featured D&D being played as well. Uh, I, 1982. Oh, my. It was quite a, quite a long while ago. But that was highly visible stuff then, and it was an exception. It was just a side note, and it was being very authentic to the time period in which the movie was made. Uh, but that was not generally considered cool. <laughs> Now, by the time Stranger Things comes along and creates the, uh, you know, I, I think a far more realistic uh, reminiscence on what it was to be a D&D player in the early 1980s. Uh, by the time they got to it, uh, we've had plenty of time to look back. You know, whereas looking back, wait, what do you mean looking there's oh, something no. gazing. Ah, no. oh. ah! Make your saving throw versus gaze attacks because the arcane eye has set its inscrutable gaze upon you. And now you are forced to look at small press geekery. <laughs> and today we bring you as it returns. From Psychic Cactus Press. I love the core. That's right. Every formation of parade every paycheck of fortune every meal of feast yes this is the science fiction military action game that you've always wanted to play but you might have missed it with aliens the role-playing game recently released in colonial marines so on the surface this game is a die six and it has some unique stats like instead of strength it has drop and give me 20. oh and also is instead of a dexterity and agility it has I'm a freaking ninja! And for your mental cool and willpower, stay frosty. Yeah, just three things that are picked up out of that whole genre. Whether you're playing Doom, those are your stats. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, you face a whole thing from corrupt mega corporations, extraterrestrial chest bursting parasites, and Xenos, and a hidden conspiracy that is in-depth and played out. You are part of the United Colonial Marine Corps, and you play from captains, sergeants, and basing grunts to scientists and envoys that can be attached to the squad. And it's all written and designed by Christopher Dean, and it's been thoroughly play-tested, and it's going to be coming up for a Kickstarter sometime. But you can get the PDFs for free. For free! Our favorite word. Oh, yeah, you are not a kid me. Free, yeah, nothing sounds prettier than that. But... Uh, looking good. I'm just saying, in terms of core concept, uh, they have opened the door to a wider array of interesting things than I think the Aliens role-playing game, which he has limited mostly to Xenomor Xenomorphs and corporate which, uh, shenanigans. Hey, I mean, you got me there. I I was already in for that. But this one, you can have a wider variety of things and a layer of mystery and intrigue. And also the stress level of psychological horror is more than just being exposed to horrors that weren't meant to be. This is where your Stay Frosty score counts, because otherwise you go all Bill Paxton. 
well, that character play that character role archetype plays a part in game over, stuff. man. Yeah. Game over. Shut up, Hicks. <laughs> oh, I was short too. Yeah, well, shut up. <laughs> um, yeah, just telling the the uh, company Joker or the squad jokester to shut up helps everybody relieve stress. Somebody kicked out. However, um, this game has a lot going for it, and there's a lot of nuance. So. Oh, you can also buy the uh, soft covers uh, from Drive Through RPG on their print on demand. Either way, if you're uh, checking out, you want a more robust system, and you know we've talked about travel and things like this one, but this one speaks of weird language all its own that'll get you right into the fact of being in a, a salty grunt in the squad who's come up on short while after watching his <laughs> assault ship burn up and crash in front of him. And realize that his retirement is now screwed. <laughs> that was not five by five. No. All right. But with that, the arcane eye releases you from its inscrutable gaze and returns you back to reality. Oh, reality. So, yeah, when we're talking about celebrity, uh, us like Jimmy's. Oh, they're scurrying off. So when we talk about celebrity, uh, we're going to talk about the other types, and we're going to kind of be gentle on this one because I want to end it on a positive note. So we'll just get the salt out of the way. Yeah, it's, here we are in the. I, I want to just go right very quickly. The last stage of celebrity in gaming that we move to is absolutely unique. Nothing quite like this has existed before. These are people who, unlike. Uh, game design developers who are famous inside the community but unknown outside of it and unlike people who have achieved celebrity and then have been revealed to be gamers we're now talking about gamers who have achieved celebrity through their gaming this is a thing that did not exist in our youth okay that is it's uncanny that the world should have reached a stage where people achieve genuine fame like the the level of like almost d-lister or b-lister celebrity that you're like okay so they're not in like keanu reeves doing like john wick okay that's that's not the level of celebrity that these people have reached but they're definitely in there with well-known comedians and you know like lesser known actors and they've achieved a degree of social recognition that is unparalleled and historically unique. There is nothing quite like it, and it's only been in these last, like, uh, half a decade. This right, but huge. we talk about uh, Matthew Mercer, Felicia Day, but we also want to mention Ginny D, uh, a cosplayer gamer who runs a I mean, one million followers on Instagram and TikTok. Yeah, that, that is unbelievable to me, that to have that degree of name recognition where... It's not just an isolated click of a few nerds here and a few nerds there scattered around the United States. It is a seething mass of genuine fans that basically have catapulted uh, someone into a position of relative fame. And all because they enjoy a particular hobby that we also happen to think is pretty dang awesome. That's that's a, quite a change of affairs. And it brings to the point that a lot of people associate these so-called uh, new celebrities, and I say new celebrities because there's no other comparison to them as some negative on the community. 
Now look, uh, a cosplayer, uh, we all snicker at uh, chainmail, chainmail bikini girl or that, you know, okay, all right, you're not 12 anymore. Time to grow up and abase the facts. Oh, man. I know. Well, you can be mature and still young at heart. Oh, One thing, don't uh, try to mock people and belittle them for the choices and how they make their money. I'm just talking about specifically that that kind of snickering has to kind of, that's not the kind of cosplay they do. Although, if that's your thing, do, do hey, it it's all. out there somewhere. Cosplay sure. Deviants has a whole booth at Gen Con that's nothing but lamp dances. And Everything cold. exists on the internet, so, you know. And if you enjoy it, do it. But on to that. There is a dark side, okay? Gamers are not used to having fame and, you know, obviously... They see it as a distraction, yeah. Yeah, so you start to run into... We're starting to see the beginning of the dark side of fame in gaming, where people that very quickly rise into a kind of public uh, position then quickly fall because they make some terrible stumbles. Uh, and there are some really yeah. glaring incidents. So we're just going to talk specifically. You know, Satin Phoenix and her husband, Jameson Stone. Now, Satin Phoenix has some veritable chops to speak of because she ran Sirens of the Realms, a uh, kind of a video podcast sort of thing, a play, a play live play stream um, that went pretty successful. And uh, she got married to Jameson Stone, kind of a self help kind of guy, kind of a life coach guru. But didn't have a lot of gaming chops. Uh, Satine had been uh, employed by Wizards of the Coast as brand manager for a while, or media marketer, however, the, whatever that title is. And uh, they decided to publish a book called uh, Sirens of the Realms through Aphosis Studios. And it was a Kickstarter that funded, I think, uh, for quite a bit. I want to say over $30,000, but I could be wrong. I mean, some of the Kickstarters today go, you know, it's not unseen unheard of to do $100,000, but whatever it was, they had more than ample enough money to pay for their freelancers, and then uh, there was a lot of gaslighting. And, and this is where you can recognize that people who may not have actually worked in the field, like as publishers per se, or doing Kickstarters, they may not have realized what they had bitten off. They thought that like, hey, like the the rest of you down the totem pole, come last. We will we will deal with you when we are ready to on our terms. That is not traditional inside gaming publishing, especially the small press stuff, where uh, you know there's an awful lot of people waiting for you to like dole out compensation for the work they did. Uh, that makes it possible for you to put your product out there and get it published in the first place. Without them, you really didn't have that much to present the world with. Uh, so there was a serious underestimation of how the world would react to that. Uh, and all of a sudden that fame, that level of attention becomes a dark side. It, it, you know, like everyone is focused on you, expecting you to be reasonable and to be conscientious. And if you drop the ball, there can be a price to pay. It's not fair, but it is real. Well, especially when you don't uh, do well and try to gaslight and attack your detractors. And that'll bring us full circle because uh, that brings us right back to the guy, Gary Gygax, even though he uh, put his name on all the book covers when he was supported by a bunch of other people, he gave them credit in the sections, even though he was headlining. And he managed to do it and do it well. And, well, I think that's... We uh, we can punch down continually on them, but I think the Internet's done it for us. 
So yeah. with that, we're going to bid you a hasty adieu and catch you later. So next time, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.